nice thing, isn't it? A little bitter. I was in that group, and I was gone one Sunday, and I'm thrown out. And they replaced it with a younger me, you know? Isn't that something? But uh, praise the Lord. Thank you, fellas. I appreciate that song. Uh, children, to be dismissed at this time. They go to the children's church in the back there, and uh, we'll let them go back, get taught on their own level, while you turn your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Always a blessing to see the children part of our church here. I want to share a parable with you as to how Satan attacks a Christian. Uh, first, Satan shoots a poison dart at his heel, but because the Christian's feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, he's able to withstand it. Then the devil tries shooting him in the chest, but there he is wearing a breastplate of righteousness. And then he tries to uh, shoot an arrow at his wrist, uh, at his waist, but he is protected by the loins girt, with, girt about with truth. If you're familiar first, uh, with Ephesians chapter 6, you'll recognize these terms. The Christian then knocks away two other darts with his shield of faith and his helmet of salvation. The devil is determined, though, as he always is, and so he slips in behind the Christian and shoots him in the pocketbook. And this brings the Christian down. That's a parable. Uh, but we're talking today about a problem that is rampant in our society and in our churches. And it is incredibly destructive to the happiness of us as people. Materialism is a preoccupation with possessions, believing that they bring happiness and success into your life. When it comes to materialism... Has any nation ever surpassed what we're seeing in America? We, we define really our lives by how much stuff we have. We define our social status by how much money we make and where we live. When a person loves earthly things so much that they can't get along without them, then they open themselves to much suffering, both physical and mental. In 1975, six armed gunmen uh, broke, broke into a bank and robbed the deposit boxes. This is in London. They stole about $7 million in loot. One lady whose jewelry was evaluated at about $500,000 wailed, everything I had was in there. My whole life was in that box. What a sad commentary of her values. How many dates on our calendar even are kind of about materialism if you think about it. We throw birthday parties for our kids and shower them with gifts. And then there's the biggest holiday of all, Christmas, which for many has become the epitome of materialism. We deify the wealthiest Americans with shows like Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. You know, according to the book of Affluenza, we spend more annually on shoes jewelry, and watches than we do on education. Shopping malls are our churches. Celebrities are our gods. The magazines, people, and Vogue are our Bibles for many people. President Jimmy Carter said this, human identity is no longer defined by what one does, but by what one owns. But no matter what we have and what we achieve, it never seems to be enough. The, in the book, The Overspent American, 
uh, they did a poll and they found that 27% of households that make over $100,000 a year say they cannot afford to buy the things that they really need. When have we become so materialistic? And then another question, why? Why have we become so materialistic? Because today, I want to uh, just make clear that today's message is for rich people, okay? And uh, I don't want you to step out and leave yet, because you might find yourself there in just a moment. But why have we become so materialistic? Well, there's unhappiness in our world today. Americans as a whole are unhappy. We sell more antidepressants than anyone else in the planet, and that's what the most popular medica medication that is taken. When people are unhappy, they often turn to material things to feel better, which only satisfy for a moment. Now, you've heard the phrase, those who say money can't buy happiness don't know where to shop. Uh, we, we, we've heard things like that before. But you shop away, friend, you're not going to buy happiness. You'll never buy contentment. You'll never buy peace. And so there's unhappiness. There's loneliness. We're an incredibly lonely nation. The United States has the highest percentage of one-person households in the world. Most don't know, most people don't know their next-door neighbors or even in apartment complexes, the, uh, the people living right at the apartment next to them. Most people don't know the names of their neighbors, even though we have all this technology and we're more connected than ever before. Really, these interactions are superficial. The more social media that we have or are a part of, we, the more we think we're connecting. But what we're really doing is we're disconnecting from people around us. We're a sad generation with happy pictures. It's a different time. All, uh, the, then there's advertising. Uh, advertising hits us. The average American is exposed to 40,000 commercials a year. That's how many commercials you see a year. 40,000 assaults on your contentment. 40,000 messages saying, hey, buy me, you need me, you need to take advantage of this, buy this and you'll be happy. So we end up buying things that we don't need with money that we don't have to impress people that don't matter. I want to talk to you today about how to deal with materialism. If you'll You've got your Bibles open, hopefully, to 1 Timothy 6. Let's look at verse number 17. Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. That they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Dealing with materialism. Father, I pray you'd help us because I think truly this hits every single one of us to some extent. All of us in our human desires for advancement and our collection of things, we, we all deal with this. And I pray that you'd help us today to get a good biblical view of how we ought to look at materialism. Pray you'd use it now in Jesus' name. Amen. In this chapter, verses 3 through 10, Paul warns us about greed and uh, the, the uh, passion for wealth. Now, in the text that we just read, 17 through 19, he warns those people who possess wealth. 
Now understand, friend, it is always a sin to have greed, but it is not a sin to have wealth. However, that being said, the rich, as is intimated here, have many pitfalls and perils which others do not have. And so Paul gives Timothy here some instructions to give to the wealthy, charge them that are rich. So our text here is to rich Christians at Ephesus, charge them that are rich in this world. Now let's consider that statement because it begs a question. Who is rich or who are the rich? Uh, certainly it's not me and certainly it's not you, right? Uh, those uh, We would usually remove us from that category. And it's interesting how we think. For Americans who make under $25,000 a year, they say that if you make fifty-four or above $1,000 a year, you're rich. You're living the American dream. And then you take somebody who does make $54,000 a year, and they say, no, no, we're not rich. Uh, if you make $95,000 a year or more, you're rich. You're living the American dream. And then you talk to someone who's making ninety-five, and they say it takes a hundred, uh, almost two hundred thousand. It's interesting that the American dream lasts; uh, it, it it is about twice the distance away of where we are, for most people. That's how we look at the American dream. And uh, I want to ask you this morning: Then, are you rich? And I'm not talking about spiritual riches again. We'll get to that in a minute. I'm talking about the riches of this world: money, stuff possessions. Are you rich? Most of us would deny being rich, but the truth of the matter is, objectively speaking, everyone in this room under the sound of my voice, you're rich. You're very rich because of where we are. Uh, I mean, really, we have a standard of living in our nation today that's 99% uh, of humans that have ever lived on this planet, better than 99% of humans ever lived on this planet. We, the U.S. has the highest disposable income in the world. Did you know that in Afghanistan right now the average annual salary is $390 a year? That's what the person makes. In Ethiopia, it is only $1,000 a year. In India, the average annual salary is $4,000. In all over the world, there are countries in which people make less than a dollar a day and work hard at it. In the United States, we spend over $3,000 a year just eating out. We, we have uh, over 90% of our homes in the United States have air conditioning. We live comfortable. Uh, we are definitely rich. Even though we have a high standard of living compared to the rest of the world, we still want more because materialism never satisfies. It only gives you a desire for yet more and yet more. For the purpose of our message today, let's accept our good fortune of living where we do and let's just say this is a sermon today from a rich pastor to a rich congregation. We're all rich when it really comes down to it, objectively speaking. And by the way, don't get defensive on that charge. It's not sin to be rich. It's a blessing. Amen. We've been blessed. God has blessed our nation. And it's a blessing to have this. You don't need to go get rid of all your money and become poor to please God. If you decide to do that, give me a call. But you don't have to do that uh, to follow God. That's not what our text is talking about at all here. Uh, the issue is not how much money you have, it's what you do with what God's given you. You make a living by what you get, you make a life by what you give. 
So I want to consider as we start here three popular myths about materialism. And uh, the first myth is having more things equals more happiness. Having more things equals more happiness. Now, I think on a, I think most people would probably on an intellectual level say, no, things don't equal happiness, but we sure live like things equal happiness. The, let me read you a few quotes by different men in history. Uh, W.H. Vanderbilt was the Bill Gates of the late 1800s, and he said this, the care of $200 million is enough to kill anyone. There is no pleasure in it. John Jacob Astor was one of the richest people uh, in the world at his time. He ended up dying on the Titanic. But he said this, I am the most miserable person on earth. John D. Rockefeller, I have made millions, but they have brought me no happiness. Henry Ford, I was happier when doing a mechanic's job. Now, I tell you today, friend, money can do a lot of things. And it can buy a lot of things, but it can't buy happiness and it can't buy peace. So the truth is that some people are so poor, all they have is money. <laughs> and that's probably one of the worst poverty there is. So myth number one is that more things equals happiness. That is absolutely not true. Number two, having more things equals importance. Money cannot make you more important. Life is tragic for the person who has plenty to live on, but nothing to live for. John Maxwell said this, success is investing in yourself, significance is investing in others. But having more things does not make you more important. Myth number three, having more things equals security. Material things cannot guarantee for you earthly security. In a time of violent protests like we see today, essentially they have legalized crime in many places in our country. And there's no real security anywhere in the world today. Even those who serve the Lord can't be sure of what tomorrow may bring. James is super clear about that. In James 4.14 said, Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even as a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. There is absolutely no protection from suffering in this world. Money cannot guarantee you a long life, just ask Steve Jobs. Money cannot guarantee you good health, uh, it, and only a fool will think otherwise. Again, money is not evil. It's the love of money that gets us in trouble. Look at verse number 10 of the text that we, we didn't read it, but it's uh, just a few verses before that. How many of you ever heard that phrase, money is the root of all evil? It's not. This is what it says. The Bible says, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which some, while some have coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. When we read that, we, our automatic response, I think many of us, Oh, no, no, I don't love money. I'm not endued with this love of money that it's talking about. But then we read on and look what the next line is which while some coveted after. That word coveted after, uh, orego is the original word in uh, Greek, and it means to reach after or desire something or to stretch oneself to grasp something. That's the idea. Now that hits us where we are. What one of us has not stretched ourselves to make more money or to earn more, to save more, to squirrel it away. And, and again, nothing wrong with that uh, in and of itself. But uh, how many of us haven't stretched ourselves to do that? 
uh, which some have coveted after. And I get it. I'm from a long line of tightwads. Proudly so. I prefer to call it a frugality expert. That's what I consider myself. And uh, I want to do a class on it because I think I'm pretty good at it. But uh, uh, it's a common desire in all of us to save and to squirrel away. One man said this, if money were a woman, I wouldn't say we're in love, but we're seriously dating. Now, I think if we're not in love, we're at least seriously dating most of us this idea of things. So having established this, it can't satisfy things, money cannot satisfy. All of us, I think we can all agree, are probably, I hope you agree with this, because I think all of us are materialistic to some level in our life. It's a very natural thing to be as a human being. So how do we deal with it? 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19 here tells us how to deal with it. It gives us three specific commands to consider here. The first one involves our heart. Because why? The heart always comes first. Everything that we, uh, really, all that we do, all that we live, the choices that we make, it all really comes back to the heart, first of all. And so the first thing we look at is examine your heart. Look at verse 17. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, give us, uh, giveth us richly all things to enjoy. It's possible to be rich in this world and to be a pauper spiritually. Now, there's five important truths I want to glean from this verse. First of all, uh, the obvious one, some people will be rich. Some people are going to be richer than others. Even Christians, this happened, we see that in the church, all kinds of level of, uh, of, of, of funds that people have. And so some will have more, some will have less. There is nothing wrong with that at all. Usually you find the ones who have more have made better decisions or have made some wise investments and have worked hard to get it. And uh, that's just life. Some people have more than other people. So let's look beyond that and not be uh, get bitter about that. That's just the fact of life. Secondly, money has the power to make us feel insulated from the negative things of life. Money makes us feel invincible. That's why it says specifically, trust not in uncertain riches here. Because money has a way of making us feel like what happens to others is never going to happen to me. Number three, wealth is very uncertain. Wealth is very uncertain. You can be rich today and tomorrow be as broke as a charismatic at an auction. And just think about that for a second, okay? But look at the stock market, and you'll learn that truth. Look at uh, in the th 30s and other times, too. Uh, you, you'll see that money talks, and often it says goodbye. Amen. It can be gone so quickly. Proverbs 23, 5, For riches certainly make themselves wings, and they fly away as an eagle toward heaven. Just when you think you've got it made, your money can take wings and fly away. We can lose everything. As I've mentioned the last few weeks, we were talking about this uh, the, uh, here on Sunday morning uh, during our preaching, that you can only call your, you only own what you can't lose. And you can lose everything in this world. That's why we have to look at God as the owner. Uh, so, number five, I'm sorry, number four, putting your hope in God is a choice we all must make. That's why this verse again, trust in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. It means that you consciously decide 
every single day not to trust in the material possessions that you have to get you through life. It is submitting to Him everything that you are, everything that you have, knowing that at any time He could take it away. Illness, catastrophe, water damage, it can happen. And, and uh, so quickly we can lose it all. Number five, God gives us everything we need at any given moment. This is a tremendous truth that we see here. God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. That is a statement that's easier said than comprehended. I mean, do we really have all that we need right now in the material realm? If we believe God, our answer has to be yes. Because if we truly needed it, God would have given it to us. Because would you agree along with me that your children misuse the word need a lot? Have you ever noticed that? Dad, I need this. Nah, let's, let's define need and want. There's a big difference between need and want. Well, we as adults do the same thing. We claim our wants often are needs. And, uh, but truly, they aren't. God gives us what we truly need. Stop and consider that for a moment. That we have everything that we need because God gives us those things. How many times when your child was little or even a toddler, did you keep things from them that they desperately wanted? My oldest son used to be a climber. You ever had one of those kids? They climb and he'd end up on top of the counter and and uh, love the uh, butcher block, you know, try, getting one of those knives, waving that around. It's just a little toddler. And I'd take that away from him, and I would be a horrible, horrible parent. It was awful. But I, I recognized what was good for him better than what he recognized was good for him. And God does the same for us. We're that toddler to him. So God does not withhold good things from his children. Psalm 84.11, no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Matthew 7, 11, If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven uh, give good things to them that ask Him? I understand that there's many today that live with a handicap or an illness or some kind of uh, sickness, and how can we speak about God's goodness in a time and a situation like that? The Apostle Paul says in Philippians 4, 11, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith, to be content. It is possible to be content no matter where I find myself. Also, contentment, which doesn't come easily at all, is something that has to be learned over time. It was even with the Apostle Paul. Now, I want you, I want to make a statement. I want you to think about this. We will only be content to the degree that we have a proper view of God's involvement in our life. Say that again. We'll only be content to the degree that we have the view of God's involvement in our life. It comes back to trust. Do we trust that He is giving us the things that we need? If you separate God from your life, it is then that you will feel obligated to hoard your wealth and your resources. After all, you're in charge. It's all up to you. And you're trusting in yourself, you're trusting in your uh, possessions. But if we trust in God's provision, then we are free from the need to trust in insecure wealth. And boy, there's a lot of freedom there, friend, when we learn to trust Him rather than on things that can fail us. Now, now I can give to missions. 
Now I can be faithful in my tithe. Now I can help a brother in need. Now I can live generously because a proper view of God leads to a generous view of life. That's why giving ought to be as natural for a Christian as breathing. That's what God did, isn't it? For God so loved the world that He did what? He gave. We need to as well. So examine your heart, number one. Number two, consider your actions. Once you've looked at your heart, and then it's time to consider your actions. Look at verse 18. They that do good, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. Distribute to be ready or free to impart. Communicate, inclined to make others sharers in one's possessions. Free in giving. We're talking here about a generous giving spirit. And there's three actions mentioned here. Doing good, being rich in good works, and a generous giving spirit. You could say being good uh, or do, doing good is the directive, being rich in good works is the dedication, and a generous giving spirit is the development. Uh, and notice this encompasses far more than what you simply do with your money. Again, uh, when we talk about materialism, we're not just talking about money in itself, but materialism not only impacts the lives that we lead, but the type of people that we become. Materialistic people tend to be very narcissistic and concerned with impressing others. Uh, they have a tendency to be anxious and depressed and filled with doubt. They have lower quality relationships. A material Christian will have no impact for the cause of Christ. It's a tragic thing when we have materialistic Christians. Now, if materialism could have satisfied, could satisfy, if it had the possibility to satisfy, why don't we go to the richest man probably that has ever lived on this planet. He was, I think, had more than Jeff Bezos and anybody else you want to bring up. Why don't we go to Solomon all the way back in the Old Testament? Solomon was incredibly wealthy beyond what we can even imagine. Uh, He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. They all could have had a Macy's card and him not sweat one bit about it. That's how rich he was. He was a wealthy, wealthy man. He had absolutely everything. Yet he found it it was all pointless. He found that it brought no satisfaction. He said in Ecclesiastes 5.10, He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver. Now think about that. What, what is silver? Silver is money. If you, if you love it, then no matter how much you have of it, you're never going to be satisfied with it. How's that for an oxymoron? And he goes on. He says, And he that loveth abundance, uh, nor he that loveth abundance with increase, this is also vanity. Solomon talks a lot. If you read Ecclesiastes, he talks a lot about the vanity of things. And he says, I've been, uh, I've been poor and then I was rich and then I did all these things and I went after, uh, these different areas of life and pleasures and money. And I found it's all vanity. And he comes to a conclusion at the end of his book in uh, verse uh, 13 of chapter 12. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. Jesus gave us the two greatest commandments that we can keep. He said the first and greatest commandment is love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And then secondly, love thy neighbor as thyself. And those are the two greatest commandments. But can I tell you, materialism interferes with our ability to do either one of them. We can't love God as we should and we can't love our neighbor as we should when we are wrapped up in materialism. One person put it this way, where riches hold the dominion of the heart, God has lost his authority. 
See, God created us to love people and use things. And we turn it around. We, we love things and use people to get more things. And as a Christian, if we want to have an impact for the Lord Jesus Christ, materialism will affect that in a terribly negative way. Don't think for a second materialism won't affect your relationship. So examine your heart and then consider your actions. And then lastly here, verse 19, enjoy your reward. Here's a promise for all of us. You might call this Jesus investment recommendation. Look at verse 19. Laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. The Christian life at times is difficult, but the retirement plan's out of this world. Amen? Uh, generous living lays a foundation for the future that will last for all eternity. Matthew 6, 20, But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where thieves do not break through nor steal. We all understand the concept of saving for the future. We all get that. Most of us are involved in that in some way. There should be uh, saving for a home or putting money into a retirement fund. All these things are good. Uh, and then when the retirement time comes, you have the sufficient funds to support yourself. And that's a, that's a good thing. But here's the problem with materialism. And I've used this, this visual before, but it's so helpful to us to understand, I think. Uh, to, the problem with materialism is that we it gives us a warped sense of priority. One other problem with materialism that it, it uh, gets tangled up with my stuff. Okay, let's use this as just a an, an example that this is eternity. Okay, this rope, it goes into that door and it goes on forever. Just trust me, okay? Never stops. It goes on forever. This rope is uh, infinitely long. That represents eternity. And if that represents eternity, then let's have this little black part right here represent our life. Because that's really what it is compared to eternity. Take this rope on forever and ever and ever. It's hard for us to wrap our mind around eternity. But this is our life right here. And how foolish is it for us to live our life here never thinking about all this that's to come one day. Eternity is a long time. And here, if you can see the little pink section there, we'll call that retirement. Okay? So, we spend our time here working, planning, and living for this little part right here. And I mean, we put money away, we sacrifice, we put extra money on the house, and we, we raise and we scrimp and we save because one day we want to go RVing, or we want to go fishing, or we want to... Uh, relax and enjoy our life. And so we work really hard here for this little section right here. Meanwhile, we ignore completely all that is to come. And Jesus said, hey, and this is what materialism does, it warps your priorities. It's, that's, that's foolish to live only for this, isn't it? That's foolish. When you've got all this, and Jesus said, lay up treasures in heaven. All the things that you're raising and putting together, and by the way, again, nothing wrong with having things, nothing wrong with enjoying things, but let's not make that our primary focus. Our primary focus ought to be eternity, because eternity is a long time. Retirement could last a very short time, and of course it will be a short time compared to eternity always. So don't let your uh, priorities be so warped. Uh, how tragic is it to plan for the future 
that lasts only for a short while, but do nothing to plan for eternity. Some people don't even take care of their soul for eternity. All living for this little few moments right here. And it's such a short time. Dear friend, if you're here today and you're living only for this life, what a waste. What a fool it is to do that. Just to live for this life alone. Have you prepared for eternity? Eternity is a long time. The best alternative to materialism then is eternityism, if that's a word. Living for eternity. Satan wants us to continually be chasing things that will never satisfy us. And the reason is because then the chase just continues. And he got, he's got us for our whole life because we're constantly chasing what will not satisfy, which means we'll keep chasing on and on. So for the express purpose, he wants us to do that so that we for sure don't chase the one thing that does satisfy, God himself. Satan knows we can't serve both. Jesus said it. You can't serve God and mammon. So you can't serve the things of the world and God at the same time. The only way that we can have the right focus is if we have contentment which is the exact opposite of materialism. Contentment kills materialism. Materialism kills contentment. You can't have them both at the same time. Uh, if we recognize what it tells us in Luke chapter 12, verse, verse 15, that the a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Jesus said that. Your life is not what you have. Your life is not your position. That's not what your life is. And then we understand Matthew 6.33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and, and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Materialism is a preoccupation with material things rather than spiritual things. And we need to be very careful with that. I love stuff. I think we all love stuff, right? There's nothing wrong with stuff. Nothing wrong with having things. I know sometimes... I remember as a teenager listening to messages like this, and I would think, well, the only way to please God then is to live in a hut in the woods somewhere and have nothing and do nothing. No, not at all. God gives us good things to enjoy. Listen, if you get to, if you get to have a vacation home, praise God for you. If you get to do uh, some traveling and enjoy, I, I'm grateful for it. There's nothing wrong at all with that, uh, as long as we keep our priorities and our focus right as far as when it comes to God. Deuteronomy 6.5. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy might. I'm sorry. God alone is worthy of our true love and affection and our service. And that should be our focus. So as soon as you start loving your whatever more than you love God, that's when it becomes a problem. The happiest people on earth are those who have learned the joy of generous living. They have given their time their money, their advice, their counsel, their talents, their commitment. And they are not content to just be spectators as life goes by. They allow God to use them. And that's what's going to really bring you peace and contentment and joy and impact in your life. Get off the bench and get into the game. Invest your resources into building lives. Truly uh, become a part of giving to God and others. I heard a story about a man who was at a Sunday night church service and they had a testimony time and he stood to give a testimony and uh, he says most of you know me I'm uh, a multi-millionaire they all knew how wealthy he was he says I'm a multi-millionaire and I attribute all that I have to the blessings of God in my life he says it all goes back to when I was a boy and I did an odd job made my first dollar ever 
the first dollar I ever earned in my life. And, and it just so happened that night was church night. We went to church that night and uh, there was a missionary there. And I kind of felt like I ought to give that dollar to this missionary. And when the offering plate came around, I gave that dollar. He said, understand, that was all the money I had in the world. It was everything I had, and I gave all of it to God. He says, I think that's why I'm a multimillionaire today. He sat down, and of course, everyone was impressed, but the lady that was sitting next to him leaned over and said, nice story. Dare you to do it again. <laughs> Truth is, you can't outgive God, Amen. Maxi Jarman was a wealthy Christmas, uh, Christian businessman, gave away millions of his money to Christian causes. But at one point in his career, he suffered an enormous financial reversal and he lost everything that he had. And a friend asked him, I bet you regret having given all that money away to the, those Christian causes. He said, no, no, no. He said, I only lost what I kept for myself. Because friend, listen, what we keep, we will lose because we won't live forever. Everything you hoard and hold on to, you will lose. What we give away, we keep because of the benefits are going to last for eternity if we invest it wisely. The challenge today to you and me is simply this. We are so rich. We've been given so much. And we it helps us if we recognize that, uh, how fortunate we are to live where we've lived, and to have the things and enjoy the things we enjoy. No, no need to feel guilty. However, it should put on us a profound obligation because God never wastes His blessings. He doesn't pour them out so we can use them on ourselves. He pours them out so that we can bless others the way that God has blessed us. If you today are in the grip of materialism, ask God to turn that around in your heart and help you to live generously. As you live generously, you'll help yourself. You'll impact people for the cause of Christ. In the process, the stranglehold that materialism has will be broken in your heart. Now, I'm going to just encourage you, one of these days, every single one of us is going to stand before God. And what we did in this little black section, we're going to have to answer for. We're going to have to answer for. And if all you did was live within this, never doing anything for eternity, think of the regret. Think of the regret that you'll have. Paul talked about that he wants to live in such a way that he won't be ashamed when he stands before God. Will we be ashamed? Surely there will be a lot of shame. If we've only lived for this little part right here, what a waste, because there's a long eternity in front of us. And I'm asking you today, what have you done for eternity? If you start thinking Along these lines, materialism will die in your life. But if you're obsessed with how much you can get in this little section right here, eternityism will die in your life. I don't know if that's a word, but we're going to use it today, amen? Living for eternity. What are you living for today? Nothing wrong with having things. Nothing wrong with having wealth. If you're wealthy, praise the Lord, I'm happy for you. Um, but what are you doing for God with what He's blessed you? He will not ask what kind of return you got on mutual fund investments. But he will certainly ask, what did you do with what I gave you? Two weeks ago, my last sermon here, we talked about the fellow who buried his talent. Remember that? 
took a shovel, God blessed him, God gave him something to, to invest and use for him, and he buried it. What, are you, what have you done with what God has given you? What you keep for yourself, you eventually lose. What you give away and put into the service for God, you'll gain eternally. God wants you to value, desire, and worship only one thing, and that's Him. And for that reason, we need to deal with materialism in our life every day. We need to make sure that nothing has usurped His position in our life. That's dealing with materialism. I hope that that's your heart today. One last thing before we close. How many... It's interesting to me, Jesus talked about hell in the Bible more than anyone. Uh, he, he spoke about hell a lot. He spoke about hell more than he talked about heaven. But do you know what he talked about way more than hell? Money. In fact, of all of his parables, half of them deal with money, with possessions, with things. And the reason is that probably that is the exactly what sends most people to hell. As far as they're after, the things of the world, not the things of God. And so if you're here today and you are living just your day-to-day -day existence and all that you really have been living for is this little bitty section right here, this section will be over very soon. And then this one begins. And I'm asking you today, are you ready for it? Have you accepted Christ as your Savior? What happens if right now, right this instant, your life ended? Where would you be? Would you be in heaven? Don't allow the things of the world to rob what's really important from you. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. I want to ask a question, so I don't want anyone looking around. I don't want to embarrass anybody. I won't point you out. 